Well, we, we did it. We made it to 2022. We survived the last year. And so welcome to a new year. It's hard to believe that we're here already. Um, it seems like the last couple of years have flown by and felt like 10 years all at the same time. Um, and so if you are here this morning and you're excited about the new possibilities of the new year, um, you have some changes in mind or some resolutions or things that you're going to do better this year, um, that's great. Today's message will be good news for you to help you understand how you can move forward in your life and keep on track with those things. But if you're here this morning and you're already feeling the crunch and you just aren't sure that this year is going to be any different than the last couple of years, um, today's message will also be good news for you to help you know how you can make it through another challenging year. And so this is good news for everybody, I think, because you're probably somewhere between, in one of those categories or somewhere in between, so this will be helpful for you. But before we look at our text in Ephesians chapter 2, um, it's page 1036 in the Pew Bible in front of you, so if you want to turn there, um, we're going to take a look back at where we have been, um, because it's been a few weeks since we were in Ephesians, and we left right in the middle of a break, uh, in, in the middle of a passage, and so we're going to pick up the second half this morning. And so, just to recap, the, the, the series that we're in is the book of Ephesians. We're calling it All Things New because it talks mostly about new life in Christ, that we are given this new life, that we have this new life, um, and, but how does it change us? How does it call us to live as individuals and as a community? So that's what we're looking at is this new life in Christ. Um, and just to remind you, Paul, who loves to write really long sentences, um, the passage we are in this morning is the third sentence of the book of Ephesians, even though it's chapter 2. Um, and so the first sentence was verses 3 through 14. It talked, told us about our spiritual blessings, how we can have redemption, how we have an inheritance, how we are sealed with the Spirit. The second sentence was verses 15 through 23 of chapter 1. And it talks about because of the blessings that we have, because of the things we have in Christ— we have this knowledge, and we should pray for the knowledge of the hope and the power that comes in Christ. And so this is the third sentence, which is verses 1 through 7 of chapter 2. Um, we saw it the first half, verses 1 through 3, earlier in December, and we'll pick up the second half here this morning. And so I want to reread the first half just to remind us where we are. So we're going to read verses 1 through 3 really quick just to remind us um, how sort of depressing the first three verses were, which is why we get good news today. And so it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also." So Paul is very clear here in these verses, we were dead in our sins, not just sick, not just in need of medication, not just a little bit of help, not just try a little harder. We were dead, not just making some mistakes. I've messed up a couple of times. No, we were dead, right? Sin in this context is not something that we do, but something that we are. We are sinners. So as sinners, we are dead. And so that's where we find ourselves today, everybody, 
Everybody is a sinner. Now, you may be saved at this point, that's fine. But today, we're going to get to the solution, the answer to that problem of sin. And this a solution is going to apply to you if you feel like you're drowning, or you're unworthy, or if you're charging forward and you want to stay on track, this will be good news in both cases. And so Paul is writing this not to wake us up, not just to heal our wounds or to inspire us or to give clarity to us or to teach us, but to raise us from the dead. That's what these verses are this morning. And so let's read um, the good news of this section, um, verses 4 through 10. And it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he, God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So this is the section we're going to look at. This is much better news than the first three verses. This gives us the answer to a lot of things. And just as another reminder, um, when we're talking about the book of Ephesians and somebody asks you a question, there's a 95% chance that the answer is in Christ, which we saw a whole bunch more times in these verses, right? Everything happens in Christ. But what we're going to do is we're going to actually look at two different sections we're going to split up. The first is we're going to look at who God is and why he's doing what he's doing. And then we're going to look at who we are and what our purpose is. And so we're going to start just kind of, we're going to work our way actually straight through it this morning pretty much. And so we're going to start with part of who God is. It tells us in verse 4 that God is rich in mercy, right? He is rich in mercy, but before we get to that, we get these amazing words, right? These two words at the beginning of verse 4 actually change everything for all time, I think, right? And those two words are, but God, Right? I don't know if there's two more impactful words in Scripture than these two words, right? We were in trouble, but God. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God. We were in a hopeless situation, but God. There was no way out, but God, right? But God shows up, and that changes everything, right? God intervenes. He steps in. He gives himself for us. He attaches himself to us. He rescues us. And he does this because of who he is. And so we're going to look at who he is and then what he has done and how that flows out of his identity. And so God is rich in mercy. This is actually the only place in Scripture that tells us God is rich in something. We get a lot of characteristics about God and who he is and all of these attributes and other things. This is the only one that says he is rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. So mercy can be described in, in one way as undeserved kindness. Somebody's being kind to you even though you don't deserve it. Um, from a different angle, I've described it as not getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, usually in a negative sense, as in, I deserve to be punished, but I got let off the hook. I deserved a ticket, but I got a warning. 
right? I deserved death, but God gave me life, right? That's mercy. You're not getting the thing that you deserve. And this mercy isn't just something that God has, but it's a part of who he is, right? That means this isn't a resource that he can run out of. It's something that he can never run out of. It's a never-ending fountain of mercy for us because it's part of who he is. So like for me, there's a never-ending supply of sarcasm and trying to be funny. It just comes out of me. There's really not much I can do about it. I've tried to get better at it, um, at least some of it, but I'm always going to be a little bit sarcastic and I'm always going to try to be funny. Now, whether I succeed or not is a totally different story. Right? But there's a never-ending supply of that coming out of me just because that's who I am. And for God, he is merciful. And so there's a never-ending supply of mercy that comes out of him. It's always going to come out because that's who he is. And God helps us understand what this mercy actually looks like in sending Jesus to earth among us. Right? This mercy was embodied in Christ it showed us this is what mercy looks like. This is what mercy acts like. This is what mercy talks like. This is what mercy lives like. We see that in Jesus. What God is doing for us <clears throat> comes out of his mercy. But that's not all. It tells us that this is also because of his great love for us. And so God did what was best for us, even though we were rebellious sinners. And if you think about an act of great love, either for you or for someone else, usually it involves some level of sacrifice, right? You give your time, you give your energy, you may give some money, you give a gift, you give something of yourself to somebody else. And so this sacrifice this, that we see, this love that we see from God, involved actually the greatest act of love, which was the sacrifice of Jesus for us. Right, the greatest sacrifice. We deserved to be left on our own. We deserved death and separation from God. But that's not what he gave us. Right, because out of his mercy and love flows salvation by grace. Which is exactly what he tells us next. <clears throat> right, he saved us. You are saved by grace. <clears throat> we were people who deserved his wrath. But God, out of his great love with which he loved us, had mercy upon us. We were dead, but God made us alive in Christ. God has taken action to reverse our condition of being in sin. Right? And there's really two parts of this together. Right? What we are by nature, we saw this in verses 1 through 3, by nature we are dead, we are sinners, we are trespassers, we are rebels. <clears throat> but by grace... Right? We are alive, we are saved, we are renewed. <clears throat> and so we have this human condition and divine compassion. We have God's wrath toward sinner and his love toward sinners all held together. And in this long sentence, what we're really seeing is God at work. God is doing the action here. He is doing the work. The actions he's doing, uh, we can see them listed, really. He's making us alive, he's raising us, he's seating us with him. All of this happens in Christ. And we'll see this concept actually all the way through, right? That God has already done this for us. He is doing the work. 
not us. And one of the reasons is dead people can't help themselves. Dead people can't do anything. Only God can do it. And so in this, we'll see again, and he'll make it very clear in just a minute, that he is doing the work. And so we are, says, we are doing, we are being saved, we are being made alive, we are raised with Christ, and these things sound remarkable, right? That we get those things, that he is doing these in us. But I want us to see that God has already done these in someone else before us, and we are just being included in those blessings. And so if you glance back, actually, at chapter 1, Verse 20, this is what it says. It says, He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating, seating him at his right hand in the heavens. Now that sounds really familiar to what God just, or what Paul just told us that God does for us. He raises us and he seats us. Right? This power that we have can have an, make an unbeliever have life. You can be raised, you can be exalted in Christ to have the same power as him. And so he makes us alive, right? Although Christ died physically as unbelievers, people who don't believe in Christ, we die spiritually. But God makes us both alive. He raised us up. God has raised up believers with Christ. That's our spiritual, not physical experience yet. Um, He will raise us physically eventually, but spiritually he has already raised us to a new type of life, and he has seated us with him, right? God has seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ. This is where our heavenly citizenship lies when we are in Christ, when we have trusted in him and put our faith and our hope in him. This is where our final home will be. And so God is rich in mercy, and because of his love, he saves us by his grace. But why does he save us? Right? Why does he save us? And we see that beginning in verse 7. And it says he saves us so that he can display the riches of his grace. Right? So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So what he did for us of saving us, of making us alive, of raising us, of seating us with him, displays his grace and kindness. We see him caring for and saving sinners. We see him offering forgiveness to those of us who don't deserve it. We see him paving the way for redemption for us through Christ. We see him giving purpose to everything that you've been through because he is working in you and through you in those situations. That's how he displays his grace and kindness. And notice that it said it displays the immeasurable riches of his grace. Right now, we measure a lot of things if you think about it. Right? We measure the weather. Like, for instance, yesterday at like 5 o'clock, it was 80 degrees. And then when you woke up this morning, it was... 25 degrees, which seems a little ridiculous. Um, Also, I know it's a little chilly in here. The heat isn't quite working the way it's supposed to this morning, so it's warm-ish in here. Um, But we measure weather. We measure mileage, right? How far is it to get somewhere? We measure time. We measure our bank accounts. We measure our height, and begrudgingly, sometimes we measure our weight. Um, 
even big things like the earth and planets, even the universe, right? And because this said it's immeasurable. And so I was like, what's the biggest thing I can think of that we've measured? And the answer I came up with was actually the universe, right? And you can argue with me about these numbers, and somebody probably will, but this is what I looked up. The furthest we've measured in the universe is 13.8 billion light years away. That means it took the light from there 13.8 billion years to get to here so we could see it. But the universe is also expanding. And so that same point, if the universe is expanding at a constant rate, is now 46 billion light years away. Right? That's pretty big. 46 billion light years. That's, that's big. And we can measure that. Right? 46 billion light years. And actually, that's only halfway because it goes 46 billion the other way also. And so we're talking like almost 100 billion light years that we've me- we can sort of measure right? But this says immeasurable, the immeasurable riches of his grace, which means it's bigger than a hundred billion light years. The riches of God's grace are bigger than that. You cannot measure it. It's too big. It's too vast. It's unending. And that's good news for us because it means we can never be too far gone. We can never take, make too many mistakes. We can mev- never be too messed up. You can never be too big of a sinner. His mercy and his riches of his mercy are there for you because they're unending. They're immeasurable. And he does this through his kindness, right? Grace towards us in his kindness. He wasn't obligated to save us. He wasn't forced to save us. He didn't save us out of pity. Oh, I feel sorry for them, so I guess I'll help them out. No, we weren't randomly selected, right? Like the lottery, like, hey, I won the lottery, so I get to be saved, and this other person doesn't. That's not how it works. We were chosen by God. He saved us out of his kindness, out of his compassion for us to display his mercy. But it's also interesting, if you look at it, about when it says his mercy will be displayed, right? It says, in the coming ages. So yes, right now we can see some of the greatness of God's mercy towards us, right? Me receiving salvation through what Christ did for me on the cross is a great blessing to me. It's completely changed the trajectory of my life and how I see the world around me and how I interact and how I look at all eternity, And that seems like a good deal. But even now, even what we can see and understand is limited. But one day we will see his full glory displayed. We will see the fullness of his grace. And we can marvel for all eternity over his love and his grace and his kindness towards us. Right, so that's God's part. That's what he's doing. So now let's turn to our part. And we're going to pick this up in verse 8 through 10. And so first for us, we are saved by grace. Right? That's the beginning of verse 8. You are saved by grace. 
And so we said earlier that mercy is not getting what you deserve. And so I talk about mercy like that, and then grace, I say it's getting what you don't deserve. Right? Not only are we not punished, not only do we not have to pay the penalty for our sins, but we also get eternal life. We get salvation. So we get things from God that we don't deserve. And so we are saved by grace through faith. Faith is the means by which we attain salvation. And so it's to, faith is actually to believe in God means that I am abandoning all attempts to save myself and accepting what God has done in Christ for me. This means that all my attempts, all my efforts to look good, all my efforts to do right, all my attempts to balance the scales and do more good things than I do bad things, I have to let all of that go. And I have to put all of my hope and all of my trust and all of my faith in Christ for salvation. To be right with God, I have to give it all up, everything that I'm doing, and say, I trust that Christ has accomplished everything that is needed for me to obtain salvation. For God to look at me and say, you are innocent. You can come in to heaven. And I know we say this concept a lot, and we talk about it a lot, and you're probably like, this sounds really familiar. But if you think about it, it's also really scary. Because that means it's out of your hands. It's out of your hands. If you think your salvation is still in your hands, like, I can do enough, I can go to church enough, I can read my Bible enough, I can pray enough, and then God will love me, then your faith still has room to grow. It still has room to grow because it's putting all of your eggs in his basket and saying, I trust you with everything. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do anything. We'll get to that in a minute. But it's because this is God's gift to us. Now, understanding gifts is conveniently really easy for us because we just had Christmas, right? We've given gifts, we've received gifts. And so when someone gives you a gift, all you have to do is put out your hands and take it. You didn't really do anything up to that point to earn the gift. And so it would be weird for you to give me a gift and for me to take it and take all the credit for it, right? You gave me this gift because I'm awesome. Right? I really deserved this gift. And this gift only has meaning because I opened it and I used it. Right? It really didn't have anything to do with you. No, that's not how it works. Right? The giver gets credit for the gift. The giver gets thanks for the gift. Right? They thought of us. They purchased it. They presented it to us. We just took it. And the same is true for salvation. We just take it. God thought of us. He purchased our salvation through Jesus. He presents us with salvation. All we do is take it. And after we take it, we give thanks and credit to him for giving it to us. It isn't because of anything we've done. It isn't because of us. It's because of him. Right? Paul wants to make it clear. 
It's God's gift. And then he gives us a couple of things just to make sure we understand that it's not. It's not from you. It's not from works. You didn't do anything. It didn't come for you or anything that you are or anything that you have done. You did nothing. And so you have no reason to boast, no reason to be proud, no reason to think you're better than anybody else. And even though most of us in this room or listening online know this to be true, I think it's still hard for us to fully grasp. That's why the Bible, I think, keeps giving us the same message over and over and over again. We're going through Galatians on Wednesday night, and it's essentially a whole letter saying this exact same thing. You can't earn your salvation. It doesn't matter what you think, you can't do it. And it's sprinkled all throughout the New Testament. You can't earn your salvation. You can't earn it. It's God's gift for you. And I think one of the reasons it's hard for us is because in almost everything else in our lives, you have to earn something. Right? When you're in school, you have to earn good grades. With other people, you have to earn their trust. When you're at work, you have to earn a promotion, hopefully, that comes with a raise. You have to earn rewards points with your credit card so you can sort of get free stuff. You have to earn a credit score so you can spend, do things. If you're kids, at least at our house, you have to earn your screen time. You just don't get unlimited screen time every day where you get to play video games and watch YouTube and all that kind of stuff. You have to earn that from your parents. But with God, not only do you not have to earn it, you can't. You can't earn it. You're not good enough. You can't overcome your sin. You can't. But there's something in us that wants to keep trying to earn it, to prove we're good enough, to prove we're worthy enough, to prove we're faithful enough so that he will look at us, so that he may bless us. Right, but we can't earn it. It is given to us as a gift. All we have to do is take it. But why does God save us? What's the purpose behind it? And it's so that we can display the riches of his grace. That's why God saves us. And we see this in verse 10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared ahead of time for us to do. So we are his workmanship, and you may be saying, what does it mean to be his workmanship? That's not really a word that we use a lot anymore. And I've heard this term for most of my life, because um, I grew up in church from a young age, and I always tied it back to creation. Right? God is a creator, and he's created everything. And so everything that God has created is part of his workmanship, something that he has created. Right? And I was like, okay, we're his workmanship. There's no surprise there. He made everything, and that would obviously include me, so I understand that. But there's more to this term I discovered this week. It doesn't just mean something that God made. It really means and is tied to the concept of a work of art, of a masterpiece. And so that should change our perspective on what it means to be God's workmanship, which means we aren't made by God like in a factory assembly line, right? 
The organs go in, the bones are there, the skin is on, the head gets attached, boom, another human, right? And we, he just rolls them through, right? One after another, kind of stamping them out. Okay, we got all these humans. And it's like an assembly line that he puts us together. No, it's like a master artist, carefully planning, designing each stroke, blending things together, and bringing everything together to create something magnificent. Right? It's not an assembly line. It's a masterpiece of a work of art. That's what it means to be God's workmanship. You are his masterpiece. You are his work of art to be displayed to the world, to be displayed to those around you. And so if you ever doubt your worth, or how much God cares about you, just remember that. He didn't just stamp you out of the assembly line. He carefully designed you like an artist. Each piece, each part, even the parts you don't like. Right? He still gave those to you. Because you are unique and you display His glory. And he created us, right? He created us for good works. This is our purpose, to do good things. Which he has prepared for us to do. Now, this sort of makes it sound like, and you can take it this way, and some people do, that saying he's prepared good works for you to do ahead of time means that he's had everything laid out for us, and there's this specific path that we are supposed to follow, right? Which is sort of true. But sometimes we obsess and worry and try to say, well, am I on the path? Am I doing the things that he has prepared for me? Am I, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? So rather than obsessing over that and thinking about the process, I, th- I think we need to step back, right? Because we o- if, we, if we're only trying to do what's right and follow the path to prove ourselves, Right? or to make God love us, then we're actually working. We're trying to earn his favor, his salvation, and say, oh, I'm on the right path, I'm doing the right thing, so God must love me. But I think if we focus instead on walking the path, right? God has prepared good things for me to do, and the way I do them is to seek him. The way I do them is to follow him. The way I do them is to be faithful, then it's a completely, we're not worried about if we're on the path or not. We just do what God is asking us to do. And when you do that, he'll put you on the path. You don't have to worry about if you're supposed to turn right or left or do this or that. He will show you. He will give it to you. He will help you in that situation. We are called to just walk in the way he has prepared for us. Right? Just walk the path of following God and trusting in Him and being obedient to whatever He asks you to do. And so God has prepared us, He has created us to display His good works. And so what is our response out of this? Right? How do we respond to this message? Well, I think there's two easy things to do. First is just receive the gift. God is giving you the gift of salvation. So if you're here this morning and you haven't yet received that, all you have to do is take it. 
Just saying, I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm depressed. I don't know what's happening next. I thought all these things in my life were going to work out, and it seems like it's just falling apart. There has to be something different. There has to be something better. And what we would say this morning is there is something better, and this is it. Receiving salvation in Christ is better than anything the world can give you. It's all going to fall away. It's all going to fall apart. But this gift he gives you is better than all of that. So we receive the gift of salvation. But then, once we receive the gift, our response is simply to just walk the path. Right? He has created you. He loves you. He is kind to you. He gives you mercy. He gives you grace. All you have to do is walk the path of obedience, of trusting in him and following him. That's it. That's as simple as I can make it. Just walk the path. But isn't, I think this message kind of displays again the beauty of the gospel, right? The message of what Christ has done for us. If you are down and out, if you feel unworthy, if you feel like you can't keep going, the gospel message says, it's okay. Because Jesus has stepped in for you. He has lived the life, he has paid the price, and he offers you the grace and the strength and the power to make it through. And if you're raring to go this year, to keep moving forward, to do big things, Jesus is with you, empowering you, guiding you, and telling that you that even if you fail, even if in two days you've already broken all of your resolutions, even if you fall on your face, it's okay. Because you don't have to earn anything. He's still going to love you. He's still going to care for you. He's still going to follow you, walk with you. And in both cases, if we obey him, if we are faithful, then we glorify him. We show others his greatness, his grace, his mercy. It is displayed in us. So not only is God rich in mercy and kindness and grace towards us, but actually uses us to display that mercy and grace and kindness to others as we follow him and as we trust in him. And so this year, for whatever may come in 2022, our call is simple. Just walk the path of faith and obedience to Christ wherever he leads you. We guys pray with me this morning. God, we come before you and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for this good news in the second half of, of this verse where you step in and you send Jesus to the earth on our behalf to rescue us, to save us, to deliver us the message of salvation, to embody your mercy and your grace, to show it was, us what it looks like. So God, I pray this morning that you will help us to trust in you, that we will abandon all of the other things that we do that make us feel like we're earning your love, earning our salvation or paying you back and just trusting in you alone. 
right, of letting go of all the other things that we try to do to make ourselves look good or whatever that may be, but just to trust in you fully. God, we pray just as we come to a new year that whatever is ahead of us, help us to remember that you are with us, you are walking with us, you have prepared the path for us, and the best way for us to follow that is just to seek you and to be obedient to the things that you ask us to do, the things that you call us to do. So God, this year, help us grow in faith, in trust of you. Help us seek you above all other things. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.